Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rodden Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Cales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this continued exploration of faith, and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing today? Good day to you, Lindsay. Through the grace of the living God, we've had a good week, um, which they call low week in Anglican terms. But I was busy, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I and the family are in a good space, and um, I trust the same for you and your family. Yes, 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 quite good. Um, I see here that um, Father Marlon is leaving us and it's his farewell episode. I just want to, I've had fantastic conversations with, with, with him in the past and just want to extend my well wishes in his new phase in his career. Yeah, indeed. Uh, this is what um, what we look forward to as we grow into our ministry with the church um christ's ministry one should say not our ministry and um as the as the growing happens this is sort of the next step to uh beginning to walk on your own as it were and so we are with you i wish him all god's blessings as he takes on this uh, first of his um, charges to uh, lead a congregation and um, hopefully hopefully he's learned um, from us uh, what not to do and, and and hopefully he's also learned what can be done so i trust and trust him to god and and also his family in this new phase of his ministerial mm. development mm. So, Father, this is the first Sunday after Easter. There is a strong leadership um, focus, I think, at least in my questions I have about the liturgy of the word. But we'll get to that after you have called us together with the words of the collective prayer. Good day, uh, people of God. As always, we start our Easter greetings with these beautiful words. Hallelujah. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. The Lord be with you. And then we come to the prayer of the collect for Easter, the second Sunday of Easter. Let us pray together, God of mission. You raised Jesus Christ as the firstborn of the dead. By your Holy Spirit, empower us to witness to him, so that those who have not yet seen may come to believe in him, who was and is and is to come, and who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we are now chronologically in the wake of the crucifixion and the Acts kind of jumps a lot further ahead. But I think Acts, or at least the reading and the gospel, have kind of the same theme where it's like the apostles were looking for direction after the crucifixion. 
but we'll get to that. Um, the first reading is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. I'm just going to read verse 33, which is, With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Then I'm going to jump to the gospel. I'm going to pose a question and then we can get the discussion going. So the gospel is according to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Um, I will read a few choice verses. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So I have problems with the fear of the Jews thing because at this moment, though the way I read it is the powers that be wanted Jesus gone. They didn't really see the apostles as a threat. So now this group has obviously lost their, the, the shepherd has been struck and the sheep are scattered. They are without purpose. Um, they were without direction and they are waiting for the enlightenment of the next steps. And now they huddled in this room, kind of consumed by their own, I'd say paranoia. Paranoia is a very, very strong term. But the important thing is only their world has descended into chaos. The rest of the world is still carrying on as normal. Like the crucifixion is still an insignificant happening at this point. Because it's only relevant to the apostles. So so was was this covered maybe in your, your theology? Um, am I trading new water here? <laughs> With scripture, you always think you're trading new water and others may be uh, still there in that water. I, I, I think it's a very important um, point to make. What happens post-crucifixion? Um, now, remember there was a thought in the mind of the chief priests and the high priest and also all their people that the, the entombment of Jesus' body needed to be of such a nature that these disciples could not come and steal the body and then claim he had rose from the dead. Um, so there was that suspicion in the in the air, and that fear hung over the disciples, but also the fear of they were publicly part of Jesus's life and ministry, even though he may have been physically taken away. Yeah. Would there also not be an emerging of his followers that would continue speaking his truths and also seeking to carry out the work that he started? Uh, if if and and the word that got my thinking this afternoon was the word movement. Mm. When even though the main leader may be in jail, may be imprisoned, or in killed in this way, isn't there a sense in which the way that his leadership had inspired people and his message had inspired people, they would certainly 
uh, be known to take uh, up his uh, mantle and continue with what he was doing. So new leadership was possible. New leadership could could emerge from there. Um, but when they saw what they did to to their leader, how they criminalized mm. him and told lies about him, if they could take the leader and do that to them, to him, what could they still do with us? And we are but few in number. Mm. So there was fear that to stifle and even to evict the whole movement by its root, the, the, the followers of Jesus could be the next who could be jailed and, and killed. So I think that fear certainly stuck with them. And so huddled in this particular house with doors locked was a way of them uh, congregating um, in uh, congregating to be an inner support to each other, but at the same time, locking themselves away from the world. And um, maybe it's a, a kind of an entombment for, mm. for them. Uh, their Lord has gone into the tomb, so they may as well also entomb themselves by locking themselves behind until the dust settles. Mm. Uh, you know, that's my that's my that's certainly my imagination mm. that this is what could have happened because the threats were real. You know, the threats were real when when we assumed to ask for the liberation of our leader and that person being Nelson Mandela, mm. um, who was imprisoned, the movement didn't stop. The movement was supported and new leadership emerged that was trying to keep very much to the to the to the thoughts of the original leadership of the ANC. And so uh, pe people of generations, newer generations who didn't even know uh, much about the history, um, joined the movement for liberation. And so the, the ongoing call for liberation before education, do you remember those words, mm -hmm. um, became the slogans. So that the deep desire for freedom, for justice, for good news, as in the case of the gospel, of, mm -hmm. of liberation there also, um, you know, those in power would like to uh, take, the, take that, that movement by the roots and under but you know the call for justice is just so deep but fear hung over us all the time i mean you if you were if you were earmarked as somebody that was part of the movement you either went into hiding you fled the country um you know i mean uh one of the things that happened in my experience was and i still don't know the real connection but when i was uh, um i when i went when I was picked up with the rest of my colleagues and spent five five days in prison in prison in Paulsmore and went to to stand trial every day, we were a whole group of people, including Muslims and 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 Christians and so forth. Mm. My parents had a prayer meeting at the house in Mitchell's Plain. And 
when they were either about to come out, the security branch was in there and came to look at the whole house and what they were meeting about, mm. uh, deeming it close to being an unlawful gathering. Mm. Why would a prayer meeting, my house, my parents' home, be connected at the time when I had been in, in Paulsmore? Mm. Was that a way of saying that house is a dangerous house because this person who's a priest now is showing that the roots of, of for call for liberation is very deep. And this house is one of the houses we need to, to do. Mm. And the same thing happened when I went to, to the Maple Land. Unknown to me, they mm. knew who I was. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that even though you went onto the streets, you still felt that fear. And mm. as you say, paranoia. You know, when you're in the group, you're strong as soon as mm. you leave the group and have to go to your own home. Yeah, but they, they weren't really preaching the good news at this moment. They were just associates of Jesus. They were kind of, they yeah, they, they weren't doing anything untoward. Like the the only person making, doing miracles, the only person that the people were flocking to see was Jesus. So then this takes me to another interesting point I found in when reflecting on, on the text is that this was the apostles, the disciples, it was their first Christ encounter because they had been associated with Jesus of Nazareth. Um, their belief may have been that he is the son of God, that he would rise from the dead, but this is the confirmation of that. So this is outside of the ladies in the garden, um, the first Christ encounter and confirmation of the fulfillment of the covenant, which then gets me thinking, it's like, what transformative, what a transformative moment it was for them. And then can you recall your first Christ encounter, Father? Yeah, that's a very interesting point that you're making. Um, thank you for the question that you, you're asking there. Um, I recall that I had been Christianized growing up in the family that God placed me in and the extended family both on both sides, and parent, uh, my parents' side, so, for example, something that was very central in my experience from a young age is St. Mark's Anglican Church in Cape Town. And that would have been seen as the family church. Uh, District 6 and Warme Estate were where I found myself at, at that juncture. But then also my um, the awareness of God and of the church grew as I was also um, a student at Zonnebloom um, mm. primary school and also Zonnebloom senior secondary school, which inevitably elect, uh, uh, sort of attached me to the church. So I had um, sort of those deep things enrooted within me. Um, when I was going to the age of about 12 years old, 
um, one of the people in Sunday school who was my teacher brought the outside awareness into a more internalized space in my life mm-hmm. where I think the important word was now that I'm externally aware of God uh, through the church uh, and through the school and through my parental home um, where we were taught prayers and and so forth um, that there needed to be a, a, a personal encounter in which I respond from the inside to Christ mm-hmm. and that was uh, through prayer a prayer of acknowledgement that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, a prayer of um, of 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 sorry, a confession of my sins, and a prayer of surrender of my life to His Lordship, mm. and that is confirmed for me in my confirmation, which happened at the same time. Although not articulated in the same way, the way that the confirmation brought it to me was to give me the information. Mm. The question was, what do I do with that information? Schooled me in scripture, it schooled me in church. It's so, but, but, but teaching me to respond would, would be through my, my personal uh, affirmation through the confirmation service. So I had the journey of both the Sunday school teacher leading me in a prayer uh, that, in, that we, from which I, from an internal perspective, acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, you know, in other words, co- connected to their testimony, the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Mm. So looking at the Lord from an internal perspective, and from an external perspective, so has to be brought together in the internal space of one's life. Then there's more meaning to what we're learning externally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in confirmation, you would remember we spoke, we said, I renounce my sins. I believe and trust in God. And based on that, laying on of hands for the Spirit's empowerment uh, to enable me to become God's servant. Uh, So now, as part of the internal expression, um, uh, the external expression of my internal surrender is being a servant of God, an active servant of God with other people. It's very interesting that this morning I read a text which says um, the people must see that we are servants of God and stewards of his mysteries. And so that, I suppose, also incorporates the ordination to the priesthood for me as well. Um, So yes, that kind of a resurrection experience of the encounter with the the crucified risen one Mm -hmm. certainly happened at an early age of 12 for me. Uh, in a more conscientious way, although it was all around me all the time. You know, uh, in spite of apartheid, the church and God was always in my face, but not in a way that was suppressive. It Mm -hmm. was, was, you know, I mean, 
wanting to be at St. Mark's and gathering with the family, there was always something that is one of the chief highlights for me in my in my life. Um, and and so so there's two places of significance and um, of high significance for me in terms of of this experience you are, sp- are speaking to me is the one of my own family and St. Mark's mm-hmm. came down. And then when I started my diaconate in Bontiable, where I met a woman who was part of the congregation through her service as a chorister uh, in the in the in in the what's his name. So for me, those two parishes highlight, you know, uh, both the internal expression of God in Christ, as well as us being servants of the living God. It's, a, it's an interesting um, point because I was we had one of those, you know, when you go visit some people, it's not really a visit. It's like a pop in. You're collecting something, but you haven't seen them in a while. So you go in and then next thing you know, it's like 15 minutes before. Curfew. Yes. Yeah. And we were having this conversation with 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 good friends of ours and um, my 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 friend, uh, the, the husband, he is. Um, quite a, a dedicated Christian. Um, and he kept saying, because we were talking about um, like coronavirus and like other ills in the world and stuff. And you were saying that people act the way they know how to act because they, especially if they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, obviously, I my opinions differ wildly. <laughs> From from what he was saying, uh, but 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 it, it, it left an impression on me where he defines finding your purpose in life with having a Christ encounter and forming a relationship with Jesus, which which I I can relate to because it's almost like parenting where one moment you're not a parent and then the child is born and then you are a parent and it's like you can never go back to not being a parent again yeah 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 so yeah but i think interesting how, how, how these these encounters can can alter people's perception of, of 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 life and their own purpose yeah and i think you know in even in your way of announcing yourself as the one who is um, not going to just uh, hang on to what you may consider as religious jargon. You, your, your experience of life certainly says to me that you've had an encounter, whether you would want that to be as a, a forefront experience or whether you would see that as an indirect one. Your reference to your mother and your reference to your father are both references to an encounter with Christ in different uh, ways. Uh, your mother who gently steered you towards the church, your father who led worship, um, uh, public worship. So there was no way you could cop out of an encounter, whether you saw it as um as something that you have to be cautious about because your way of thinking was not to embrace what you may have considered to be a a jargonist um, approach. Um, But certainly through those means, God came to you in in the way that God chose to come to you. Mm -hmm. So what you do with 
that is 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 your business is 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 how you take that experience which you again here as you said when you become a parent you can't go back to not being a parent so when you embraced your mother's way and you embraced your father's way it became part of you in ways that you still have to imagine I didn't really have a choice when it came to embracing my mother's way, as, you, as I think you may have also experienced as a as a young brown fellow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can deny it all we want to, but we can never uh, discredit the fact that it happened. And if it happened in gentle ways, it will always be persuasive. If you were forced then you will dismiss that as um, an oppressive one. And that's not how God comes to us mm. in oppressive ways. He came to us in vulnerable ways. Mm. So are there validations for Christ experience? Like you obviously have encountered tons of parishioners who have had life-changing moments where they now fully dedicate themselves to service of, of the church. And sometimes the, the so, sometimes it's it's not very genuine and it's it's quite obvious. I mean, you, you could probably tell whether someone's going to continue with this journey or if it's just a passing fad. Are there like warning signs for a non-genuine? encounter can i can i preface that with um with my was it two or three or four years ago when i was doing studies in in bible studies through the roman catholic um, mm. college of saint augustine um which gave me a deeper look at each of the scriptures that i was studying in particular models mm. And in reading the scriptures, almost as it were, word for word, and trying to uh, encapsulate what was the bigger meaning of these words put together in this paragraph or in this chapter or in this book. So what I began to get aware of, which I probably was so unconscious of in my readings that it didn't even touch me then, but did touch me certainly now. In the Gospels, we are presented with two very strong uh, religious philosophies and spiritualities. Mm -hmm. The one is Jesus, and the one are the Pharisees. And both claim their allegiance to God. Mm. Yet, when we make the choice to follow Jesus, which is the only choice we can make when it comes to the Gospels, we somehow choose to live our lives following Jesus, but the Pharisaic way. Mm. What happened mm. here in the Gospel text that you read earlier on? Um, no, sorry, in the in the apostles, uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the, of, the, of, the, of the Lord Jesus and great 
grace came upon them all. So where was law in all of this? When John talks about Jesus coming to the world, he talks about with his coming, grace upon grace came upon us. Mm. Yet in the way we are Christian and church becomes very legalistic. And we just do not know the way of grace in the way we proclaim gospel and in the way we are to minister gospel, in the way we are to do mission. Um, and so where the result is, we seem to be far more leaning to the Pharisaic way, even though we say we follow Jesus. So there's a very fine line. And then it did dawn on me that Jesus said this. He said to the disciples, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Because you have to take what they teach you, but do not follow the example that they are living. So, so why was the teaching so far removed from the way that these people will live. When, when you are a, a teacher and a proponent of a particular theory or way of life, does that mean when you speak, you're not speaking as if your life is speaking without words? Mm. Whereas mm. Jesus could be silent and yet still speak gospel to us. So I think that my response to the question you're asking is that it's so easy to become a Christian full of cliches. It is so easy to, to think that, and, and this, this is demonstrated once in certain Christian circles, the way they either brainwash you, mm -hmm makes you assume you're so powerful that anything you say is exactly what God says. Mm. How you read scripture is exactly as God wants it to be read and interpreted. And so suddenly you you, you, your power rises and you're under the influence of the thought that it may be the spirit of God guiding you, but actually it may be your ego that is, that is guiding you. And Jesus calls for the constraint of, 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 of humility. Mm. Um, Paul, I think, writes about this when he says, be careful lest you think you stand that you fall. Mm. So, so it's very easy to, I would rather be the huddled, fearful disciples Waiting not on my own ego to rise beyond the fear I felt, but on what actually happened in the Acts of the Apostles on the promise of Jesus, that he will send the Holy Spirit to them. Mm -hmm. So that the power that is within us, that ought to be within us, is the Spirit of God and not our own ego. And we can confuse the two very, very much. Mm -hmm. So the result is that you know, there are strange things that you hear. Um, I remembered somebody saying when somebody had died and she was the Anglican, so they brought in another church 
to come and pray for her. And it was interesting that this people's prayer was to raise that person from the dead. <laughs> right? In other words, it's not God's will that this person died now. But our prayer is going to ensure that God is going to raise this person from the dead. What becomes of that? Also, when you when you say things that you believe is based on a promise you may have heard or misinterpreted from Scripture and based that promise, you tell people what you think the outcome will be once you've prayed. And that doesn't happen. What then happens? You're giving people false hope. Mm. So, so. I think that it's very, it's possible that as the world lives it lie, its life on lies, because it's got to show that you've got to believe and trust in politicians, the economy, economics of the country, and all those kind of stuff. Um, so, so somehow the church has competition to offer as well. If the church can demonstrate in some form or fashion that the power of God is within you, even when they falsify that, mm. it can make people assume a kind of a perspective of Christianity that um, that it, I think is false. Mm. I, I, I had encountered, I was, Trudy went to the shop just before Good Friday and I had taken off my gear there in the parking lot. And uh, uh, two of the um, people who were involved with um, uh, the traffic services drove past me, and I, uh, their words to me was this: "Man of, hello, man of God." Now, what does that word actually say? When they say "man of God," it's an inter it's a it's a reading from the Old Testament. Mm. So, in other words. Because I wore a collar around my neck, I was seen as a prophet. And mm -hmm. prophets meant that they were so close to God in such a way that when God, when they spoke a word to, because they are looking for this prophetic word upon their lives. Mm -hmm. That's what they teach. And if you say the prophetic word that I got out of scripture today for you is hope. But your mind says, now I wanted to know where I was going to get 10,000 fall out of the sky for me. Yeah, if I was going to win the lotto. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? How then is what I'm saying based on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Mm. And but so then... it calls us to believe and to hope, but it doesn't call us to demand an outcome. Mm. And then That's there's something... also that, that, like in verse 19, where it's like, they admit uh, in the room they admit the doors were locked for fear of the Jews where you're now creating this us and them um, dichotomy instead of like it's it's still my belief and it's the belief that I really if it's one lesson I try and teach my children is that other people's reality view of reality and their truth is just as valid as yours because we should all be allowed the freedom to believe what resonates with us. And then by having that allowance, you must also 
then interact with the world on that same level where it's like everybody. And then that's how we, we have these discussions where like I'm not a terribly religious person, but I can engage with these discussions with friends of mine who are um, and my wife who is. Where there's no judgment, it's just. Kind of sharing of ideas and exploring like the, the human condition and the, the journey that we are all on. Which, yeah, I, I think there, there is that that idea of, of, of Christianity where it's like the Jews killed Jesus and the Muslims are bad. And it's like, no, you can't live your life like that. <laughs> but I think I think this is the point in the within the collective. We've got to find the commonalities, but we also have to live with the differences mm. and embrace the differences. Now, when I look at the Gospel of John and you saying the encounter with Jesus, I I believe that putting juxtaposing John's Gospel today, um, the reading of John 20, 19 to 31, and putting it alongside Acts 4, 32 to 35, starting mm -hmm. with your point where you said, let me read this. With great power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened at the appearance of the risen Lord? Mm. He finds mm -hmm. them locked in fear. He, he then unlocks the fear by saying to them, which are new words I've learned now, is the Latin, which says, Pax Vobiscum, which is peace be with you. The response is et cum spiritu tu, that is, and with your spirit. Where is the fear in your spirit that needs to be set free? So when he gives them, so the, the risen Lord sets their fearful people free with the greeting and presence of peace. What then becomes an overflow of this grace they experienced, in my view, as I juxtapose these two reasons, is the whole of the group, the whole, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart mm. and soul. Mm. And what happened then to the understanding of possessions? An outcome of being of one mind and heart, one soul and mind, heart, they then ensure that no one amongst them is needy. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to be very deliberate. There's also the period of them placing the stuff at the feet of the apostles, who then becomes responsible for the distribution uh, to each so in that collective of the apostles, distribution happens to each as any had need. Mm. Now, is it possible that if we juxtapose these two readings, that when Jesus sets them free and says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, you breathes on them, and the Spirit of God comes over them and within them, the community now, in the collective, share a belief, one mind and soul, start or continue the movement of Jesus in the power of the Spirit and form what is called, in my view, Christian socialism. Mm. 
Mm. Is this what God wants the world to become like? Is this what you and I are working for? That there are some things in which we are, we are going to agree on. For example, we will agree that there shouldn't be anybody in this world that is needy. Mm. This world that has so much. The questions that are being asked now that even during COVID, those that are wealthy because of the assets that they have, have made them more wealthier mm. in trillions mm. of dollars. But those who don't have any assets, they become poorer. Mm. Now, how is it in this world that some were able to build up assets that made them wealthier? So they've created a world where the I factor had become a reality. And there are very few, 1% of the population of the world, mm. whilst 99% are struggling. Um, those, I propose that those who have all these assets and are growing wealthy, their fear levels must be huge. Because yeah. those who have nothing, what if those who have nothing really have to fear? Yeah, this is true. Uh, so my question would be, is this the message of these two lessons? That when Jesus comes to, to unlock the, the disciples of their fear by being present to them as the Christ, the risen one, and says, peace be with you, and comes and shows them he is the Lord when he showed them hands inside, they rejoice because they saw the Lord in the wounds that he represented. They will still be, even when you go and proclaim, they will still be even people on the inside who will want to first have proof mm. that they saw the Lord. Unless I see the mark of man. So you're going to deal with, with that on the inside. But you also have to deal with that on the outside. Um, and that's how what happens then is out of the resurrection, it seems to me that Jesus, through the power of his spirit, begins to build the community of the church and and it as an alternate society to the one that was operating in the world at the time. Mm. That's interesting, like across the major monotheistic religions. Of the world, the care for the poor is built into the foundations. If you look at um, Jews, Muslims, um, Christians, it's it's in there. Like it, with within Islam, it's it's even to a greater extent where you are not really allowed to extract value from like your investments because that must be fed back into the community which is it, it's an incredible system to work with um and it, it's amazing how easily that all gets thrown away because like you said in the last 12 months i was reading i forget it was like in forbes or something i think um you just look at how apple became a $2 trillion company, valued company. They added the second trillion in 
something like 5% of the time it took them <laughs> to get to their first trillion valuation. And like Elon Musk added something stupid like 170% to his personal value, to his personal wealth, like over the last year. And we've added more billionaires over the last year than ever. And that that that's a, a serious problem because it's like a small percentage of people who are hoarding all the earth's perceived wealth. Because like that's 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 the beauty of, of money is that piece of paper only has value because we believe it to have value. We've agreed right. that it has value. It's the same with like it, it infuriates me when Moody's um, and Standard and Poor will downgrade South Africa's investment status, where we have very similar problems, political problems, to other like large nations, like world-leading economies. And it's like now, why are you not penalizing them? Why are you adding to them? Why, why, why is the U.S. interest rates? actually getting better when over the last four years they've descended into absolute chaos and caused havoc in their tax systems in their economy through legislated havoc not just low-level well perceived low-level <laughs> um corruption and that it's like they've legislated like put it into writing into the law of their country of like how they're going to rip the poor people off and it's all because we've we've just agreed on these systems and agreed that certain people are better than others and created these these demigods out out of people but that is my own personal rant um i must bring to you this amazing quote i read earlier confidence is the ability to make mistakes and still hold yourself in high regard. Um, that That is a professor and therapist and author, Esther Perel. I heard that on a, on a podcast. Um, I, I just found it amazing. And it was while I was doing my research and doing my notes for this discussion where I was thinking about it and I was like, faith is confidence that the God you serve and the way that you serve the God is the right way. But I think that confidence should also come with the humility to say that it might not be and still respect yourself if it turns out that you weren't on the right path. Look, I think that Jesus comes to offer something different to what is on offer. Mm. Across the board, we then, in terms of the proclamation of what he comes to offer, weigh this up um, on all that we are able to. You know, your parents give you the grounding in the Christian faith, that as you grow up in the world, you begin to meet 
other perspectives and you have a way of thinking about them and which way to choose. Um, you know, there's the choices that you are confronted with that you have to make eventually choose only one. And, you know, going through my own understanding of, of that which has been presented to me, because I can't claim that everything that's going on has been presented to me. Mm. Um, but I certainly believe that when I put the other things alongside who Jesus is, for me, I find it, without judging the other roots, mm. I find that who he is and what he comes to bring us is something I can hold on to, gives meaning to my life. Um, at the same time, um, seeking to live so that others can also live. Jesus has raised a consciousness in me for others, which is what he came to do. Mm. Um, and that is why when you spoke early on about what has been your encounter with the risen Christ personally, and I said how the inner response was required. And as one begins to learn to live with that inner one, the confirmation reminds us that the spirit has come upon us so that we can become servants of God. So that's our lives. So in whatever way, whatever, whatever career I'm going to be called, however I'm going to make my lifestyle, is at, I do so as one called to serve Christ in that capacity. Um, where I find myself. And in my case, it happened to be in the church. But mm -hmm. as, as an ordained person in the church, the community looks at you. I'm mm -hmm. in the parking lot. I don't know the traffic officers. And they say, man of God. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm called in the parking lot. What am I supposed to do then as they defined me, besides greeting them and blessing them? You know, they were made up with the fact that they met a man of God that day in the parking lot. So they could reflect and say, you know, we could have driven in any other way, but we drove past this particular what's going to be so yeah. blessed because we met this man of God. I can't forget about it because of what I heard them say from their cars. And immediately I either shrink and say, oh, this is a tall order or what do I do? But is that part of my serving? Does mm. the presence I hold because of my color give them hope that no matter what they're going through, they are, you know, they can still look to God who is present in this world, no matter what's going on. So therefore, I've got to be very careful of how I serve, how I present myself, because people out there are looking for people whom they can draw hope from. The hope that only God can bring. That doesn't mean I am the channel, but I'm one of those. Even the smallest of smallest of, of channels, certainly I am. Because again, every encounter draws me into a deeper call to believe and a deeper call to serve. Very interesting. I, I am always a servant of people because I recognize the value of all people. So getting access to information to help those people make better decisions in life is my life's purpose. And on that note, I will close. Um, Father, if you could please extract a few further points of reflection from the praise of the church, and I will chat to you next week. Just in, just in passing, 
I would say, so what's different to what you're doing to what I'm doing? Just a label. <laughs> <laughs> I label mine differently. <laughs> so tomorrow our prayers include thanksgiving for the priestly ministry of Father Marlon Porter or Reverend Marlon Porter. We don't call priest father anymore, being more inclusive. And we thank God for his three years um, of ministry in this part of the vineyard. And we acknowledge that in our experience with him, there's been both joys and challenges. And our sincere prayer is uh, for continuous growth in his life, in the life of the spirit. And uh, with his mother, we pray for God's blessings upon him as he starts his work in Tafelsuch. And we also pray for the receptive congregation of Tafelsuch called Christ the Reconcilers. They look forward to growing your kingdom, Lord, with the within the community. Um, we ask your protection upon them in your love. Also in our intercessions, as we continue to thank you for the, your, the marvelous things you do in the world, Lord, with a new song, we praise you that Jesus, who announced peace to his disciples, may indeed breathe into your church the Holy Spirit, keeping faith for doubt and boldness to fainting hearts. That as Jesus announces peace to the world, he may breathe upon the nations the desire for harmony and concord. Strengthening the fearful and all who seek to reconcile places of conflict. That Jesus who announces peace to our communities may breathe upon us our common life, your generosity. Opening up our hearts to share of our riches and the poverty. That Jesus, who announces peace to injured and battered peoples, may breathe upon all in special need your healing presence, anointing all in your great goodness. And that Jesus, who announces peace in the face of death, may breathe upon all who have died your life and forgiveness, bringing light to the darkness of death, and rejoicing to the place of tears. Lord, COVID is very much still with us. You who are the God of the dew that falls on the mountains, that you may continue to cause healing to be poured over all people and nations. And with our obedience and cooperation, and with the assistance of science, we may together bring an end to COVID not just because of the vaccine, but because of the lifestyle we live in, in which we seek to be safe, live according to the protocols. We also ask that those who have died as a result of COVID be granted eternal rest and comfort to bereaved families. We continue, Lord, to create awareness and advocacy and activism against gender-based violence in our society. For God, you seek the unity of humanity. Forgive us for our silences and our tolerations of violence and victimization. We thank you for all voices who speak out and 
May your church continue to create the support to all survivors and to be active against violence in all its manifestations. And we continue to pray for our continent that you may guide our children, God, our children and guide our leaders and give us your peace, which is what Jesus did in the appearance to the disciples. And so my brothers in conclusion and sisters in conclusion, go now sent by the one who was sent by God. Walk in the light. Testify to the resurrection of Christ. Give the sins of all and live at peace with one another. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. May we go in the name of Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you all for the coming week in your lives. Pray for us as we pray for you. Thanks, Lindsay, for your ministry to us.